0: If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be talking about verses 17 to 20 today. Today we're going to be continuing and finishing up chapter 2, and Paul's going to be explaining to us one more obstacle, but kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. Just to give us a quick review of what we've learned in this book so far, we know that Paul and his team of missionaries had been forced out of the city of Thessalonica. Uh, prematurely, very, very soon. He didn't get to spend a lot of time there. We know that he spent somewhere between three weeks and three months there. That's not a lot of time. Uh, if if we consider the, the enormous impact that he had on them, it's kind of amazing to, to look at it and say, wow, he, he was able to be that effective, to make that big of an impact in that little amount of time. Now, people, a lot of people Theologians tend to look at Paul as this cold and calculating guy. You know, he, he knew his philosophy. Uh, obviously, he knew his scriptures backwards and forwards. And so, the, the picture that you get of somebody like that is of somebody who has all these all this intellect, but but not a heart for people. Uh, but the fact is that Paul had a heart for people, as as we've seen over the last couple weeks. Now, when people uh, now when Paul wrote this letter. Uh, He he was already in the city of Corinth, so physically speaking, he was a long ways away from them. He he was far away from the Thessalonians, but emotionally, he was there with them. And So what he's feeling in this passage is the heartache of separation from loved ones. So we read, uh, as we continue in verses uh, 17 and 18, But since we, that is, he's talking about his team of missionaries who got uh, driven out of Thessalonica. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now remember that, that Paul has already revealed for us uh, what's, what's been going on? The, the source of their separation, the reason for their separation is because the Jews had driven him out and they were, uh, the, the, the Jews were persecuting the church in Thessalonica. These were the same people who were persecuting uh, Paul and his team of missionaries. And this was the same group of people who persecuted and killed the Lord Jesus. And the principle here is, is pretty simple. If you, if you haven't already realized it, we all have an enemy who absolutely hates our guts. We all have an enemy who hates our guts and who will go to great lengths to prevent us from impacting others for the gospel. Satan wants to throw obstacles in our way as we try to impact the people around us. Now, a couple things to note about this. First of all, the book of Job reveals that God is the sovereign one. God is the one in control. And there's nothing that Satan can do that God doesn't allow him to do. Now, it's kind of interesting when you look at what most Americans believe about Satan. And this is one of those things that kind of blows my mind because I don't, I don't understand how somebody can get to this position if they've read the Bible or even sat through a church service where Satan was talked about at all. But get this, according to Barna Research Group, 35% of American adults strongly believe that the devil is just a symbol of evil. He's not actually an enemy. It's more of a concept and not a person, 35%. Another 25% agree with that somewhat, that, he, that he's just a symbol of evil. Now, that's a total of 60% of American adults. Among evangelical Christians, 47% agree that Satan is just a symbol of evil, that he's not real. So for those who don't believe that Satan is real, that's basically half. Basically half of the church doesn't believe that Satan is real. If, if, and, and so for those people who don't believe that he's real, of course they're not on guard against him. Of course they're not looking out for his schemes. Of course they're not trying to protect themselves from him. So the application, again, it, it's, it's simple. Know that Satan is real. Be on the lookout for him. And don't give him a window of opportunity to prevent you from making an impact in the lives of your friends, co-workers, and family for the gospel. Take a look at your life right now and the people that you know, the people that you regularly come into contact with who don't know Jesus, and ask yourself, what is hindering me from making an impact in their lives? What is getting in my way of impacting those people with the gospel? The fact is that whatever that situation might be, whatever the hindrance might be, ultimately, the enemy, Satan, is behind it. What we need to remember is that while, while we're confronting Satan's kingdom of darkness on earth, it won't last forever. It won't last forever. The frustrations, the disappointments, the, the anxiety that we might feel when we're working against the kingdom of darkness are only temporary. Paul knows that, and so thus he continues writing in First in Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Now, Paul's already told us in the previous couple of verses that this separation from the Thessalonians is only temporary. What he reveals here is that even if he were to die immediately after he gets finished writing this letter, he knows that he's going to be reunited with them someday. What's he talking about? In what sense are they his hope or his crown of boasting? I love that, that uh, figure of speech. He's talking about the return of the Lord someday. When we'll all be swept up into heaven. All followers of Jesus will be swept up into heaven where we'll be together for all of eternity. No more separation. He's saying that the temporary discouragement of separation is is just that. It's, It's just temporary. The separation won't last forever. The reward for his hard work is to spend eternity worshiping God together with the Thessalonian christians it's not temporary it's eternal so he's not focusing on the temporary he's not focusing on the here and now he's looking at the future now he's saying right now we're separated that's not always going to be the case we're going to be together in the lord's presence for all of eternity worshiping him and i think it's important that we remember that hope in this sense by the way he, he says you are our hope uh, it, 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 it's, it's not referring to something that's just wishful thinking. It's not like a wishing well type of thing, like, I wish that we'll be together someday. No, he's talking about a very certain, very specific expectation. An expectation for what's going to happen when he stands before the Lord someday. And he actually has a very specific time in mind, something that he talked about when he wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, he wrote, So whether we are at home, that is, heaven, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, to please the Lord. Why, Paul? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He says we, believers, Christ followers, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Now, again, the context of this passage reveals that he's talking about heaven when he talks about home. He says that whether he's here on earth or in heaven, his goal is the same, to please the Lord. And that's something that we've seen actually here in this study of 1 Thessalonians, right? That that's what drives him. His desire to please the Lord. Obviously, that was something that was huge for Paul because he doesn't just mention it in one place. He's mentioned it several places now. And by the way, this has nothing to do with, with justification, with the act of getting into heaven. He's talking about rewards. The, the ticket to heaven is already paid for. This is, this is after the fact. These are the rewards that we get for our service in the body. And his fear is to have nothing to show for his efforts. Nothing to show for his life. And he fears that because, what? Because he wants to please God. He wants to please God. So, so that he doesn't disappoint God, he says, we persuade others. That's his way of, of pleasing God, persuading others. See, the desire to please God is what motivates and what drives Paul's ministry. So Paul's imagining this day in the future when God says, hey Paul, what do you have to show for your life? What do you have to show me what you've done for me in your life? And the people from Thessalonica who were impacted by him have some type of representation there. Maybe it's their names. Maybe they are actually there with him and gather around him. Maybe... There's something to do with the people whose lives that they impacted. And it all traces, and that all traces back to Paul. But one way or another, the people that he's impacted in Thessalonica, they are the living proof that his life hasn't been wasted on the temporary. It's been spent on the eternal. For myself... You know, I, I personally have no idea just what to expect on, on that day because the nature of my ministry has been kind of anonymous uh, doing the podcasts. Uh, people around the world have listened, uh, but, you know, I, uh, I, I don't know what to expect. There have been a lot of times with the podcast when I've thought about just calling it a day and saying, yeah, I can I can walk away from this stuff, but there are a few emails that I've received that have, have kept me going. One was from a guy in China who heard me teach the gospel, and he believed. And so he he wrote, and he said, as soon as I finished my sandwich, I got down on my knees and received Christ because of you. I'm going to see him on that day. There's a church in California a couple years ago, about about a year and a half ago, who bought a whole bunch of iPods, MP3 players, and they filled them with my podcasts and they sent them over to Tanzania to teach hundreds of uneducated pastors. I'm going to see them on that day, those pastors. So I'm looking forward to that day when I stand before Jesus and he says, Toby, what do you have to show for your life? What do you have to show for the ways that I've equipped you, blessed you, called you? It might be five people. It might be 500. I, I honestly have no idea. Of course, the most important thing for me is to see my kids there. To count my kids among those numbers. But I also believe that those people, the people that I've impacted, will be standing around the people who impacted me. I believe they'll be right there with me, because if I hadn't been impacted, then they wouldn't be impacted either. The point here, though, isn't for me to brag. It's not. It's for you guys to get thinking about that day. What do you expect? Who's going to be standing around you? Who's going to say, I'm, I'm proof of, of what he's done or she's done? See, that's going to be a day when, when you realize that the things that you've done for the sake of the gospel, for God's kingdom, weren't in vain. Have you ever given to missions? Anybody in here ever supported a missionary? You know, maybe when you get there, somebody will come to you and say, thank you, because you supported a missionary who brought the gospel to me and my people. And so they'll be proof of your life being invested in eternal things. Have you ever taught a Sunday school class? Have you ever maybe donated old books to to a library, old Christian books to a library? Have you ever invited a friend to church? You know, these are all things that will be your glory and your joy on that day. You'll realize on that day that the heartache and the discomfort and the discouragement, and the rejection that you get. Those were all just temporary setbacks. Temporary setbacks because you were invested in something eternal. Eternal rewards. So the principle is that if you're living your life for Jesus right now, and your life is impacting others for the gospel, your life counts for eternity. Your life counts for eternity. Jesus is going to share his glory with you. Did you catch that? Jesus is going to share his glory with you. Now, I don't know about you guys, but you ask me, that's worth more than a paycheck. That's, that's worth way more than a paycheck. And if that doesn't fire you up to serve the Lord, man, I, I don't know what will. But let me ask you this. If somebody were to, to take a snapshot of your life right now, what would they say that you're invested in? What would they say that you, you are focused on? Your job? Your home? Your bank account? The stock market? Or what about people? What about people? See, the things that we value most are the things that we invest in. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke twelve thirty four. The point being... The point being that we invest our time and energy and resources in the things that are important to us. If you invest in earthly things like money or job or house or whatever, you gain an earthly reward that you're going to lose someday. But if you're investing in people, if you're heavenly minded rather than earthly minded and you're living with an eternal perspective, What you value lasts forever. And your reward is a reward that you won't lose. The wisdom and the works of humanity, the smartest people out there, the greatest philosophers, will lead you away from thinking eternally if you listen to them. That's one of the obstacles that you can guarantee Satan will throw right in front of you. But the word of God will lead you toward living your life with an eternal perspective and valuing eternal things, heavenly things, above earthly things. He says to the Thessalonians, you are our glory and joy. You are our glory and joy. And that that reminds me of, of Peter's verse when he said, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Is that me? That's not me. There seems to be, so there seems to be some kind of indication here that the people that you've impacted will play some role in the rewards that Jesus gives you for your service. Maybe the crown that you get is going to be engraved with the names of everybody you've impacted. We know that the, the Bible tells us that someday we'll lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Maybe that means we're putting people that we've impacted at the feet of Jesus and handing them permanently over to him. I don't think we know exactly what that means, but in some way, we're, we're giving our crown to Jesus, whether it's a, a literal crown or whether it's people. We're giving it to Jesus. And here's the thing. What this is telling us is that you can hand more over to Jesus and work for it now. It's kind of like if a guy really loves a girl... Uh, he, he should buy her some kind of engagement ring, right? If, if they're going to get married. He, wants, he loves her so much, he wants to marry her. Well, he's, he's not going to get something out of one of those 25-cent vending machines, right? Or let's hope not. Sometimes they do, Sometimes, sometimes they do, but, but hopefully he'll take the time eventually to, to buy something real, right? Something uh, to show her, you were worth you know, this much to me. You get the parallel there? If, if we love Jesus, if we're loving Jesus the way that we should, we want to give him the best gift possible. And we can invest in that gift right now by impacting other people's lives. Howie Hendricks, who was my hermeneutics professor, and he's written a lot of books, he said, there are only two things in the world which are eternal, the word of God and people. I would also throw God in there. Word of God and people. It only makes sense to build your life around those things that will last forever. It only makes sense to build your life around those things that will last forever. So, the Bible and people. That's the only thing that it makes sense to invest our greatest amount of passion in, our greatest love in, our greatest emotional resources in. So the questions I want to leave you with this morning are these. Number one, what are you building your life around? What are you investing in? What are you valuing in your life? Are people at the top of that list? And number two, when you stand before Jesus someday, what do you want to hear him say? What do you want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Who's going to be the evidence of the impact that you've made in this world see the only thing that we can bring to heaven with us that isn't already there is people that we've invested in and that we've impacted for the sake of the gospel let's pray God again we're reminded that life is short this week and that we don't know when our friends and neighbors and co-workers who don't know you, we don't know when their day will be. And so we ask you, Lord, that you would stir up more passion in us to reach them with the gospel, to impact their lives for your sake. Lord, we love you, we desire to serve you, and we want to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. In these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus. Flowers in the springtime open in bloom. It's that moment the sun breaks through a stormy afternoon. Stars in the night sky, rain on the grass. Such beautiful moments.